What's up, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix here from The Code. And I want to encourage you to check out our friends at Flux Footwear, the only shoe with an adaptive sole that moves and flexes with you. Since I got my first pair, they've been one of my favorite shoes to wear no matter what activity I'm doing throughout the day. If you're looking for a shoe that can keep up with you're going to the gym, to the office, traveling, or just catching a coffee date, you're looking for Flux. Visit the link in the show notes or check out my Instagram to get 10% off and pick up your pair today. Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What's going on, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix back for another episode here on The Code. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in, for joining us, however you're consuming this podcast, whether you're on the road or or on your phone or computer, really appreciate your time. And uh, this is going to be fun, you guys. We've got another awesome interview lined up. This is someone who, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you may recognize his name. Uh, Dr. Kyle Sella is joining us. And uh, we spoke previously back on episode 63 of The Code, and we were talking about a a technology and a topic on what's called Palmer cooling. And we're going to dive just a little bit deeper into that with you guys today. Um, we'll sort of hold my introduction of, of Dr. Kyle and let him do that himself since we did that on the last episode. So Kyle, thank you so much, brother, for for joining me again to uh, to dive a little deeper on this topic of Palmer cooling. Yeah, Andrew, thanks, man, for having me. Um, it's good to be back and congrats on the success of the podcast. Dude, fan. thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, you guys. Kyle and I were just talking before we hit record that, um, you know, when this episode actually goes out, whenever whenever you guys are actually listening to this, this is going to be in the 100s. Um, you know, we just had our 99th episode get edited and it will be going out this coming up Tuesday as of the recording of this. And then as we get into the holidays, we're going to go past 100 episodes. So I'm just so grateful to be doing this. I really enjoy it. I'm grateful for all of the awesome people we've had the opportunity to interview and um, any of you guys that are listening to this. Very grateful for you. But Kyle is joining us from uh, from Idaho again. And uh, what I would love you to do, man, is if you could just give another brief introduction of yourself. Tell us a little bit more about your background. And then um, if I don't interrupt you, what I want you to also do is sort of tell us like, you know, kind of recap what Palmer cooling is and kind of hit the highlights and maybe what we talked about last time. And then and then we'll take some time to to dive in. Okay, cool. So uh, I'm a physical therapist and strength coach, and I do about 50% of my time of each out here in Sun Valley, Idaho. We're a little small ski town, um, but we have a lot of like awesome athletes out here. So I get, um, you know, but it's also a small town. So I I get to see the gamut of grandma and Olympic athletes um, during my day to day. So it's a really fun place to practice. Uh, I was an Army Baylor trained physical therapist, so I did the Army Baylor program and got to be an Army physical therapist for seven years, and that included a deployment to Iraq. And when I came back from Iraq, I got to go uh, work on a post that served the uh, Army Rangers. There's an Army Ranger regiment there, and I got to uh, help take care of those um, crazy guys. And that really started to pique my interest into performance, um, like sports performance. And when I uh, got out of the army, I was lucky enough to get the um, 
fellowship in the management of Division One athletes at Duke University. So I did my fellowship training in sports medicine out in Duke. And at that time, I, uh, we started to have kids. And so I, I opted not to go to the Division One or professional realms of being a physical therapist at those levels and uh, spend a little bit more time with family because um, those, those positions are highly demanding on your time. And so we moved out to Idaho where my wife was from. And I got a really op- awesome opportunity to work with St. Luke's Sports Medicine, which is a major health um, healthcare uh, center in, Bo- in Idaho. And I uh, directed a residency program there and managed a large clinic and, and treated and trained. And, and I got the opportunity to work with Kristen Armstrong, who is a um, three-time Olympic gold medalist in the time trial on the, on the bike. So I got to be her strength coach for a year and a half before the Rio games. Um, meanwhile, we kept visiting Sun Valley on weekends to, to um, for recreation. And we ended up um, leaving Boise and moving up here. And I've been up here for uh, six years now. And again, I get to work out of a Mark clinics that based in a, like this really awesome health club. So we have access to, pool, Pilates, uh, spin rooms, like your CrossFit style room, your kind of Globo style gym. Uh, So we got access to everything. So I get to, you know, really scratch my itch of like, you know, yeah, taking care of people day one post-op, but also like taking them all the way through month 14 of ACL rehab. So um, I really love that I get to kind of like work the whole spectrum of rehab and crossing over into that performance. And Um, yeah, so that's kind of like my history professionally. Um, Mary got two little boys too. So I've, uh, I think I was telling you, Andrew, I, I recently took on, uh, coaching on top of that. So I'm coaching basketball this year, which has been fun. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at kind of professionally. And, yeah. Well, Hey Cal, let me touch on that real quick because yeah. I don't, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if everyone listening to this understands the, um, to me, the importance of, you know, somebody like yourself, somebody like myself, a, a physical therapist who is like at the top of their profession, right? At like the top of their game, somebody that understands the rehab spectrum from the beginning until performance, right? From the beginning until, I don't even want to say the end because it's just like a continuum that it doesn't really end. People can continue to push the limits. But so often in our our profession, in physical therapy, um, clients don't make it, don't make it to that performance side of care while they're in physical therapy, they have an ACL reconstruction. They go to therapy for maybe, maybe six months and then yeah. they're done. They're done with therapy, but that person is nowhere near back to 100% or beyond it. Um, so having the opportunity to talk to somebody like yourself who is well educated and, and well positioned on the rehab side, on the sports performance side, and has had the opportunity to work with people anywhere throughout that continuum, I think is really cool because um, to me, rehab really is just training. It's training with an injury, right? And we still have to train. We still have to do things. And um, we want to get people back to all the stuff that they want to do, whether it's in Idaho or Colorado or whatever. So um, we'll catch us up to speed on how did we get, how did you, excuse me, not we, how did you get involved in uh, the topic of Palmer cooling and start Ava cooling technology? So, you know, I think, I think we're probably, um, similar in this, that we're pretty pretty big nerds in the area of strength conditioning and physical therapy, and uh, we read a lot of articles and try to stay up to speed and you know follow the gurus on on all the social media just to see what everyone's doing out there who does cool things. And uh, a couple summers ago, uh, this would have been t- summer of 2021. I was um, 
you know, we have a ski mountain here that you can like take the lift back down in the summer. So I usually hike up with a weighted vest, just get an awesome workout. And then I ride the uh, gondola back down just to save my knees a little bit. And uh, while I'm on this hike and just dying of heat because it's sunny, um, I'm listening to this podcast. Um, Dr. Huberman, who you've probably heard of and, and probably listened to if you're uh, listening to this podcast, is probably one of the ones that you also listen to, um, was talking about, you know, thermoregulation and its effect on human performance and more specifically what you can do about that. And so he's talking about how heat is a major component or a major driver of fatigue. And I think, you know, when you say that like, Oh yeah, when I'm tired, I'm, um, I, I perform, I don't perform as well. And it's kind of no dub. But when you think about like, well, what are the mechanisms behind that? He's really speaking to like this local effect on muscle heating up. So the muscle cell heating up and that maybe has some enzymatic changes that render our muscle cells less able to continue doing their job as well. And then he also talks about the systemic effect from our, you know, our hypothalamus and our brain sensing these increases in body temperature and trying to make changes and adaptations in behavior to, and or physiological changes to, to self, to self-protect, right? So yeah. like, decreasing our motivation to want to train as hard. All those things are happening because our hypothalamus is realizing we're starting to heat up. Hey, let's, let's get, let's not, let's never get to a, you know, a um, temperature injury type range of 104 degrees. Let's start doing things now so that we can regulate this body temperature. And so um, that really started like, like resonating with me of like, okay, yeah, there's like these, these mechanisms that maybe I hadn't really thought of that specifically that why temperature rising causes fatigue in our body. Um, and it makes sense once you hear it. And then he was talking specifically about one of his colleagues at Stanford, Dr. Um, Keller, who was doing research on ways to really efficiently cool someone while exercising so that they could maintain a higher work volume or more work output um, for longer by, you know, cooling certain areas of the body. And those certain areas of the body were the palms, the soles of the feet, or the hairless portions of your face, because those areas are cool, are covered with glabrous skin. And so if we think back to anatomy and physiology, uh, glabrous skin is, has no hair follicles, right? There's some areas of our body that don't look like they have hair, but if you look closely, they have hair follicles. But glabrous skin does not. And underneath glabrous skin are a special network of vessels called AVAs or arterial venous anastomosis. And again, think back to those. Those are like where arteries and veins connect directly without a capillary involvement. And that circuit in high dent, those circuits in high densities under that glabrous skin um, allows us to really dump heat or accept heat really effectively or efficiently through those, those areas of glabrous skin. So again, the palms, feet and face and, and, and what the, what, you know, one of the things that resonated when he was speaking was like, when you're hot at night, you stick your foot out from under the blanket. Um, if you walk up to a fire, you immediately put your palms out to the fire to kind of heat yourself and test that temperature. Yeah. And mom knew, not mom knew to put a cold rag on your forehead when you had a fever, you know, why didn't she, why did she put it there? Not somewhere else. It's just, you know, as humans and animals, we all kind of use this system all the time. And Dr. Keller had shown in a, a few different studies that, hey, we can increase work output by cooling the palms between sets of exercise. And not only do we get like a higher rep per set, but we might actually choose to do more sets if allowed to, um, if we control that body temperature through the palms of our hands. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if you go back to that episode 63, where Kyle and I spoke previously, um, we talked about some uh, I guess you could call it experiments. We talked about mm -hmm. some 
some exercise protocols that you could try out that Kyle has tried and some that are on the website. And I actually was just talking with a client recently about how um, he's a client where we're mostly doing more strength training with, right? Um, As opposed to truly rehabbing an injury that he had. And uh, I told him we're going to do that sometime soon because I I use this cooling bar uh, since I got it from you guys. Uh, I use it during all my strength training. Um, I typically use it during the during the sets in between, like when my heart rate is elevating, as opposed to just in between maybe sets of strength where where I'm taking long rest breaks and stuff. But I'm using yes. it when I'm not taking those long rest breaks, and I feel a difference. Um, yeah. I've had some other clients or some other um, trainers and other people here in the gym, gym members use it and try it themselves. And, um, I think people like it. I like it. And, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, because in advance of us having this conversation, I was actually speaking with my parents recently, um, on the phone, they're back in Wisconsin and another place had come up, right? Some sort of fitness place or some commercial they saw or something where it was like the same idea, but it wasn't packaged in the same convenient uh, way that that you you guys have your palm cooling bar. It was like a place that you go to where they essentially cover you in ice packs to okay. to cool you down or something. Yeah. And so one of the things I was speaking with her about is, oh, well, I have this thing. And I was like, I could buy you one of these for Christmas. This would be a great Christmas present for you. Because she's talking about getting back into shape and getting back into exercise. And I guess what I'm getting at is um, one of the things my mom always used to say is, you know, we want to put the cool compress or whatever on the the backside of the wrist, the back yeah. of the neck. And I want to know why why do those areas come up so much when when we're talking about glabrous skin tissue, primarily being palms, soles of the feet and hairless sections of the face? Um, why the wrist? Why the back of the neck? Because at least on the back of the neck, that's not usually a hairless place for people. Yeah. So, you know, um, those are great points. And I think historically, maybe our areas that have been more traditionally cooled on purpose, yeah. you know, you think of like uh, your boxers and stuff like the, the corner man's always putting the cold rag on the boxers uh, neck. Yeah. Um, and so I think historically, so, you know, Dr. Heller speaks to this a little bit um, that, you know, again, our temperature regulating system is a hypothalamus. And he says, you know, like putting that cool rag on your neck, you may be sending, you may be chilling that blood running through those um, veins and you know the arteries going up towards the brain. Um, and that might create a, uh, you know, a mental effect, ah, right? Okay. So, like you're, so you're actually like cooling blood going directly to the, the thermostat. Um, he was arguing, and I don't, this needs, this, again, this, this topic, the main reason we're talking today, because re- more research needs to be done, right? So, so he was saying, like, this might be actually counterproductive. This might mm-hmm. be like, 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 you know, blowing hot air onto your thermostat, whereas like, you know, and that turns the AC off, even though the rest of the house um, still needs the AC on, um, or vice versa, I screwed that analogy up, but you get what I'm saying, is like, you might be like telling the thermostat the wrong message, and it actually needs to keep cooling, and you might tell it, hey, we're cool enough already. Mm, so I think interesting. You got it right that time. So if I cool my neck, I tell my brain it's cold out, but my body yet is still heating up, maybe that actually thwarts what the hypothalamus should be telling the body. So he... He he made that argument that that might not be the smartest thing to do, um, and then there's actually some really interesting firefighting literature looking at uh, forearm submersion. Mm. Uh, so firefighters, um, and I'm not a firefighter, but from what I've read in, and talked to a few who are interested in our product, 
firefighters, when they are on a fire and maybe and each department has its own regulations, but say you go through two canisters of O2 while you're on the fire, you go through like your whole canister of oxygen. Um, what most of them have to do is come off of the line and allow their body to recover. They call it rehab. So they have to rehab. And what that basically means is their biometrics need to kind of come back to normal. And so their, you know, their heart rate, blood pressure, all these things that they're testing mm-hmm. need to return normal um, state before they can go back on the line and get on that, get into that fire. Um, mm. You know, we know that like cardiovascular accidents are, are very high in this population. So they're trying to be more careful and smart about that. And so that makes a lot of sense. So of course, these guys want to get back, guys and gals want to get back there as quick as possible. So they're looking for ways to help recover more quickly. And there's some literature looking at you know, putting your forearms, the whole forearm into cool water. Um, and they found a more dramatic decrease in heart rate faster compared to not doing that. So again, there seems to be an effect um, from a recovery standpoint, which is, you know, what why we palm cool is just to improve recovery, make recovery more efficient. So cooling the palms, which would include the wrists that we're talking about. It also includes the palms that I'm talking about, uh, but it seems to help, um, you know, in, in those studies, reduce heart rate faster. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, so, so why historically was it the palms? I don't know. It's a very sensitive area. Um, it, it probably feels fairly similar to the palms. Um, I'm not sure of the density of AVAs in the um, wrist versus the palms. My hunch is that, and, and again, I've, I've, I'm reaching out to different researchers to like look into this stuff, is that the forearm submersion probably has as much to do with palm submersion as it does with the whole forearm. Sure, you know? sure. That and, I mean, that makes sense to me. And and every time I've tried to explain this to a client, a friend, a family member, it makes sense to people when you explain it. Like, hey, yeah. these are areas of our body, palms, feet, face, that... Um, that we have very high density of close to the surface capillary beds that if we can hold something cool, it's going to cool down the blood flow as it's running through there. And then as that continues to circulate through the rest of the body, it helps to bring down your core body temperature and help you feel more recovered and not just feel more recovered. Like the statistics would indicate if you ran a blood test or something like people are demonstrating physiologically that they're having improved recovery. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense to everyone that I talk about. And then from myself and the people that have used it, it seems to, I don't know, seems to produce an effect when we put it into practice. And then the nuance there is like, you know, and again, more research needs to be done, but like, is, is colder better? And, and I don't think that being really freezing cold is better than being like moderately cold. And so we say cool, not cold, actually. Um, there's a thought that if we get, like uncomfortably cold temperatures. So like if you grabbed a bag of ice, um, you may be causing some vasoconstriction of these AVAs from a neural, you know, a, a neural response, right? Yeah. So if I add freezing cold temperature to my palm uh, it, and it feels uncomfortable, we may be getting some vasoconstriction there and then we're yeah. not circulating that blood. Um, so you know, the, the research is still out, but like looking at temperatures from 45 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit, somewhere in there where it feels cool, it's obvious cool, but it's like a comforting cool and not like a freezing cold ouch type cool. Yeah, makes sense to me. And and after uh, after hearing you say that last time, I, wa- I basically like to use that thermostat that's in there to make sure, hey, I usually keep it in the refrigerator 
And then yep. uh, I'll bring it out. I'll let it slightly warm up to that, you know, 45 degree range. And that's when I usually start using it. Um, and yeah, it's not so cold that when you grab it, it's you want to set it down. It's like it feels good to hold in your hand. And um, yeah, I've been putting it into practice and I like it. So uh, what I'd like you to do, Kyle, now is, yep. you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, areas that you're seeing Palmer cooling be implemented and areas that you're seeing it be used more. And then as we have that conversation, maybe then we can start to talk about like, what is the more up-to-date research on this topic telling us and showing us? Yeah. Um, So a few areas that are exciting to me. Um, One is in like just like youth athletics. Um, And so, I don't know, sometimes you like, you kind of look for like just inherent validity in things. Like do people just gravitate towards something or do they like have to be told over and over to like use something? And for me as a coach, as a dad, as a, as a, as a strength coach, um, this is a tool that I consistently see people like once you like say, Hey, you just hold on to it. They get like this sigh of relief uh, between their set or when they get they're on a timeout or they get like substituted out of their soccer game. Mm-hmm. So for like my, my youngest son's soccer team, and these are like 10, 11 year olds, you know, I, we could, we just put like the cooler out there with like 10 of these devices in them. And every time a kid comes off the field, he just like immediately grabs it and holds onto it. Um, and then, you know, if, you know, if they feel like the one's getting too warm, they'll go grab the next one. So, and this is like with, you know, people aren't telling them to do this. This is kind of like an inherent thing. Like once they feel it, they love it. Um, and so that, that excites me because I think there's like this inherent validity to like feeling that and actually feeling like you're recovering faster. Uh, so that's kind of in the youth sport. I'm just seeing like more and more teams, coaches, and parents become aware of, of this uh, mechanism of cooling. Um, and so as a, you know, as a business owner, that excites me because I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, and again, I think, you know, I think it, this is one of those things that can actually really help people um, from a performance standpoint, but maybe even from a safety standpoint. So yeah. at that, at one of our last soccer matches, um, it was unseasonably warm and down in Boise. And there's this huge like sports complex that we see all, like all over the country, right? There's like, 40 50 fields out there um no trees <laughs> everyone's playing in like 100 degree temperature yeah um, and we have uh, a girl from our other uh, a girl on a team from our same soccer club um she was having a little bit of a like a like a heat exhaustion episode mm. uh, so you know they did we, we got her into a little bit of a shade um and they immediately went over and kind of handed her the Palmer cooling units ah. um, and, and she started like to recover pretty quick. And we did, you know, we, you know, we obviously like gave her fluids, you know, made sure she got some salt um, for electrolytes. We did all the things that you normally would, but she just like grabbed onto those devices and like would not let go. And, and that was just, and she would like press, she, she would take it in her forearms, press it through her forehead. And she was just like, and she, you could just sense the relief she was getting. And I've noticed that with my children too, like when they have fevers, I don't tell them they just go to our, our refrigerator and they grab it and they hold on to it if they have a fever. And that's happened a couple of times in the last year. Um, you know, especially as we get back into school and kids are exposed to all these germs. Um, so yeah, you know, so so allow helping kids control their temperature, um, mm-hmm. I think is something that is underlooked and undervalued in sports, but then also in just in life, you know, and yeah. you know, as we know, like certain populations of people honestly have a harder time self-regulating body temperature obesity has a big deal to do that a big part of that and we know that we are dealing with 
unfortunately, our society is becoming a little bit more overweight, right? Yeah. Maybe not a little, yeah. Not a yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll back you up on that. Not a little bit. It's right. It's a problem, so, right? It's a problem, right? And so, and one of the problems of like, hey, like just like pushing people into something, trying to get people to be more healthy by exercise and eating correctly. It's like, well, let's let's make exercise more tolerable. Um, there was a study and I wish it would, you know, it needs to be repeated, but Dr. Stacy Sims, who's huge kind of in the perimenopausal women area, she's, um, she's got awesome podcasts, a lot of books out. Um, she actually did a study when she was at Stanford looking at, um, taking sedentary obese females who are um, not used to exercising. She took a group of 24 and she had them all perform basically the same exercise program for 12 weeks. The only difference was during the treadmill portion, treadmill walking portion, um, the participants were broken into two groups. One group got to Palmer cool between their treadmill intervals. The other group did not. And they were allowed to kind of like self-regulate or stop whenever they wanted to. At the end of the 12 weeks, um, the Palmer cooling group actually did more exercise they, and they improved significantly compared to the other group in every outcome that they were measuring. So this was, um, uh, not just weight loss. Um, I think it was like, you know, heart rate recovery, uh, resting heart rate. So all the things that they were measuring from an outcome standpoint, the Palmer cooling group, the Palmer cooling resulted in them doing more exercise. Yeah, so they, right, it's right. like basically said, this helps people who are struggling with exercise because of temperature related issues. It helps them, um, develop healthier habits. So that's another you know, exciting thing that, that I see a little bit with my population. Um, and then the research kind of supports it's something that we could look into as a future avenue. Um, and, and where I get that with the children is like, unfortunately, we also have a childhood obesity epidemic on the on the rise here. And if we can help kids, you know, like self-regulate, you know, when they come off the field or they're, they're doing a little bit of exercise and we give them a tool that helps them make them feel good and makes yeah. them want to go back out there and, and charge hard, then awesome. That's a that's a, an exciting thing for me to see. Totally. Uh, yeah. Well, and one of the things, you know, I had mentioned to you that I was speaking with my parents. I was having this conversation with my mom. That's one thing that, um, that I've heard from her numerous times over, over my life, right? I'm very involved in fitness and exercise and, you know, we'll be going home for Christmas here shortly. And one of the things my wife and I are going to want to do is we're going to go to the gym. We're going to go whether that's drop into a CrossFit gym or whether that's go to Planet Fitness or whatever it is, or we're going to go for a walk if the weather is not too uh, unbearably cold. Yeah. But um, we'll be uh, we'll be doing something physical. And one of the things I have heard um, from my mom, and I know there's a generational thing there too, where like you know, in my parents' generation, they're just work, 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 work. You know, they're not thinking about exercise and fitness and taking care of their body necessarily. But she hates the feeling of like starting to do something physical from an exercise standpoint and then, you know, starting to sweat and getting hot yes. and, and that feeling is not something she enjoys. So then she doesn't want to keep doing more. Right. So yeah. this potentially could be a, a tool to be used in a scenario like yeah. that, where we can help that temperature regulation to help someone who, you know, maybe they're not trying to do a real significant amount of physical activity to somebody like you and my, yourself and myself but they're just trying to get moving. Right. And yeah, even that yeah. is strenuous and challenging to the body and rises the body temperature. Um, this could be used in scenarios like that to maybe help make that a little more, a little bit more accessible to somebody like that. And, uh, I think accessibility is a big deal. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think the misnomer with this type of equipment is that it's like for human performance and people hear human performance and they think elite athlete or someone who like is just like a hard charger and fitness fanatic. But, you know, the research is showing, Hey, like, you know, temperature is a, is the regular, is a, is a, is an issue for all of us. Right. So whether you're super fit or not fit at all, this is like, this is one of those limiting factors and, and, mm-hmm. you know, at, at what, you know, at to what level it import, in, compares your performance, that's different on all of us. Yeah. But like the fittest, the fittest CrossFit games athlete, one of the lead reasons they fatigue is heat. Right? right. And same with the person who's obese and just trying to, you know, walk a quarter mile on a treadmill. One of their limiting factors is body temperature. So yeah. um, it, is a, it is a cross the board issue uh, that humans and all animals deal with. Yeah. So basically what it sounds like you're saying is you're seeing that this type of um, tool is becoming yeah. more commonplace being used in youth athletics in the population of people who may be on the out of shape obesity spectrum and anywhere in between on the on the collegiate and on the professional sports level this type of tool is being implemented to help facilitate an improvement in performance by way of thermoregulation yeah totally totally and we get you know we have the exciting things that are happening with our company you know like the you know, close to you, the Denver Nuggets use this thing every night with their team. I see uh, it. So we have, yeah. No, we have, yeah, we have like, we have like some really cool, you know, high level sports teams for, at the collegiate level, the professional level, you know, we got a, this awesome German soccer team, Dortmund using it. So like, um, those are the cool things, but like, and, the, and that attracts eyes, which I, which I love um, from a marketing standpoint, but honestly, like, you know, just getting people aware to, and thinking of this, because again, I was, I'm a nerd at this stuff and I hadn't really thought about it to this extent until I heard a podcast two years ago. Um, so it's going to take time to like educate people and get them thinking about like temperature in this, in this, um, realm, yeah. um, or in this way. But, you know, again, that just gives me like, you know, it just makes me excited to talk to people like you and just kind of like keep getting the word out there that, Hey, this is something to consider and whether mm-hmm. you buy my product or not, like there's other ways to like manage your temperature, but that's going to help you exercise, um, and increase your work output. And then and the whole thing is about increasing work output, like, um, or training volume. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the main mechanism here is that it allows you to do more compared to if you weren't going to do if you weren't going to palm cool. You know, and I guess I want to let me ask you one question yeah. on that on that topic, because we talked about whether it's the person sitting on the couch at home, whether it's the elite top of the sport CrossFit Games athlete. One of the reasons that they would fatigue and like fail is is heat, right? Their body is beginning to heat up and overheat, and that's going to cause different things to shut down. If one of the goals of using something like this is to facilitate an increase in volume and increase in work output and an increase in work that you're able to be done, does that potentially put uh, put other things at risk, like say musculoskeletal tendon related things? Um, like what what are you what are you finding uh, as far as that's concerned? Yeah, I think that is something to be cons- to consider. There's nothing more important than a smart training program, right? So a well-designed program, especially for people who are going to be pushing the envelope, mm-hmm. like we've got to like still consider how much training volume yeah. that person is putting in, right? So, yep. um, so nothing substitutes for smart like programming. Um, but this can, you know, for that person who's like really pushing the limits, and we've really got to like really think about like those type of conditions. Um, this could be a tool that helps that person break a training plateau, 
right? This might be a way to get a, a you know a couple more uh, reps, or or maybe a, just another like really really important or solid set um, at the end of a workout where they wouldn't have gotten that that fifth set of yep. third three rep max, right? Um, so I think this is, can be something for those like unique athletes um, at the higher levels to break through a plateau um, and get a little bit more. Um, really important training volume at, at an intensity uh, that might not have been uh, possible without it. Yeah. Um, and so, I, and then I think, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, I think it's less of an issue, but we still got to be considerate of like not overtraining too early, but, but just, I think on the, on the other end of the spectrum, it's just like giving, you know, trying to create consistency. How can we get this person like, working out consistently? And it's a tool to just like improve consistency, you know, maybe after those first four weeks when like the, you know, like you think of like the person that started January one, but by February one, they're done with it. Uh, like right. How can we like make this uh, a consistent thing that they enjoy? Uh, and it could be, could be used from that on that end of the spectrum. Totally. And, and just to be sure nobody uh, who's listening to this uh, misunderstands me by no way was I insinuating that doing more work output is putting your body at risk. In fact, I, I think the other way, because I believe strongly that strength is protective and having more lean muscle mass on our body is protective to, to injuries and things. So, and one of the things that we definitely see, whether it's in the clinic, whether it's in sports is, uh, in CrossFit's a good example, because a lot of times people are doing things that are called Metcons, metabolic conditioning with strength pieces mixed in is one thing that we see is as people's body temperature is increasing, as their heart rate and respiratory rate is increasing, their technical mechanics on their strength-based movements tend to waver, tend to falter, right? Like people's form and technique breaks down the more fatigued their system becomes. And uh, if this potentially is a tool that could be used to help people stave off some of that fatigue and help their body recover faster between sets or anything like that, um, or between transition zones or something in, in exercise, that might be a way that you can maintain your mechanics and maintain your form better. Um, to potentially reduce the risk of injury. So I think uh, that, that part's probably a little bit unknown, but I think, yeah. you know, the more we can help people recover, that's probably a good thing. Um, yeah, yeah so. like recovery these days, like a lot of recovery is like targeted to post-workout, right? What can I do after my workout? What can I do tonight so that I perform better tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And this is, and when, what we're talking about is like, what can I do in that 90 seconds between sets or between my, you know, between my work intervals, what can I do now so that my next interval, I'm starting from a more recovered state, that next interval, that next state, yeah. I'm not starting from such a stressed position, that interval is going to be better. I'm going to have a higher Watts. I'm going to be, I'm going to get a couple more reps, right? I'm going to finish that, that workload quicker um, yep. because I'm not starting from such a stressed position. So totally. Um, so that's where, you know, we like to like, Hey, we're, we're like, we're like in game recovery. We're like, if the next 30 seconds matter, we're your recovery tool. Like you should have, you should have hydrated last night. You should have hydrated this morning. You should have like, you know, all that stuff. Like right now though, temperature is the issue, dude. So like take care of it because that's going to help you in the next 30 seconds, the next 90 seconds, the next bout temperature is going to be the major component to like improve in um, performing better. Yeah. And, and like we talked about the, uh, you know, the obesity, overweight epidemic that we're facing, like that's a real problem. Yeah. What's also true in the world that we live in today is that we live in this like instant gratification, microwave-based society. We want something, we want it done right now. All of us have um, challenges, I think, with time management, right? We all wish we had more time in the day 
and everybody's time is valuable, right? So I know so many people that want to maximize that 30, yeah. 45, or 60 minutes that they get in the gym or at home or whatever to do the work in as little time as possible because the time is so valuable and we none of us have enough of it. If you could use something like this between sets, because rather than you know sitting on the bench scrolling on your phone, if you could use that yeah. 30 or 60 seconds to do something that's going to help your next set and the future sets be higher quality, it's just going to make you more time efficient in your training at the end of the day, which is something I'm sure all of us could get behind because all of us uh, wish we could do more with less time. So that's exactly, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's do this, Kyle. I know one of the reasons that we wanted to hop on here a second time to talk about this topic was you had told me that, hey, there we've been rethinking some of this research. We've been really diving into the weeds and figuring out some more things and maybe potentially finding some problems with some of the research that has been done. Um, so what are we finding as far as that's concerned? Research related to Palmer cooling, um, ways that we can try to interpret it to make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah, so I think, you know, um, there's almost with any intervention you look at, you're going to find research that supports it and, and research that refutes it. Right? Right. And so whether that's manual therapy techniques, whether that's um, exercise dosage, um, whether it's some type of modality, you can almost find, you can almost always find some research that's supporting that intervention and some research that is not supporting that intervention. And the early studies of Palmer cooling were mostly very positive. Um, but then, you know, again, as, as people should, um, more and more exploration is going on, looking at different uh, testing scenarios. And some are finding, hey, there, there wasn't a benefit here. And that's good because we need to find out for any tool, like what are the best populations to use it and deploy it on? What are the best scenarios with which it's going to give you an advantage? Um, and where should you like basically, hey, like there's no reason to implement it at this time because it's not really going to help you. Um, and, you know, I guess this got... Um, there's a, there was two studies specifically that came out in July of 23, uh, both published in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning that showed that Palmer cooling did not have an effect in this in these two studies, um, which was, you know, as a business owner, like somewhat alarming to me. And I, but I knew this would probably come out over the next few years. We're going to sure. see some, some are that are positive, some that are negative. Um, but, you know, what, what I was getting, I actually had a few people like, call up and cancel their orders because they're like, Hey, I just read some research. It doesn't work. You know, give me my money back, which is fine. Okay. That's cool. Um, but like, I was like, you know what? <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and then, you know, again, if you get on social media and read comments, you know, that, that can be a, a bad place to go to, but you know, like a lot of people were like citing uh, these two studies and, you know, obviously I'm going to dive into that and see what is going on. Um, and, and, and if you look at them, just like, if you just look at the abstract and you just take a quick glance, um, they're actually like pretty well thought out at the surface level. Okay. So there's two studies that came out in July um, mm -hmm. and basically the gist of both was that, um, you know, the findings that the combined findings of both papers state that palm curling cooling had no observable, observable effects on physiologic metabolic responses during exercise, nor has it any effect on bench press performance. So these study, the study, um, I'll just describe it real quick. They were looking at um, 11 healthy college-aged males with like anywhere from three to seven years of upper body resistance <clears throat> training were included in the study. So we've got an N of 11, which is not huge, but that's not bad either. Um, and they were randomized. Um, it was double-blinded. So neither the participants nor the people counting reps um, or, or doing all the other outcome measures knew what condition they were being um, 
um, tested under. Yeah. Um, we had four days of recovery between every um, condition. And they were looking at like max reps of bench press over four sets over four sets okay. at 80% of their one rep max. And they were just to go to failure. And then they would get a three minute interval, uh, rest interval. And then they had three conditions, experimental conditions. So during that rest, they had a thermal neutral. So just no cooling. And then they had cooling at 50 degrees Fahrenheit and cooling at 60 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's okay. important because we're still trying to figure out, okay, like what is the optimal temperature here? So, so we had two cooling situations, one non-cooling situation, and we had four sets done the failure, three minutes rest in between. And this, I think they picked a lot of these parameters because there was a study um, by Kwan et al. in 2010. This is one of the earlier studies that showed a improvement in bench press performance under similar conditions um, back then. And, and, and that was one of the earlier Hallmark studies, like, hey, like there's something going on here with, with this cooling mechanism, okay? Yeah. Um, so um, again, <clears throat> Initially, the findings didn't show any difference in any of the, any of the outcomes that they measured. Okay, so um, so you know going through and you know um, Andrew and I both been you know part of our doctorate uh, pro part of our doctorate programs is being able to critically appraise um, research, right? Yeah. You know, like dig down, look at the nitty gritty, and I but I but I also think um, and so like double blinded, randomized, those are things that we look for, right, to give validity to to findings. Um, but being someone who like works in the space with Palmer cooling specifically, I, I can, I know like what types of situations are going to lead to palm cooling showing a benefit and palm cooling not showing a benefit. And again, if we go back to like, what is the point of palm cooling? It's to increase outwork volume. So if I'm doing a test that's not going to have much volume included, I'm probably not going to have much of a I'm probably not going to see much of a difference. Okay. So again, it's, it's, it's really hard to show that something has effect in research and it's pretty easy to, you know, either purposely or unpurposely um, find a, find no difference. Okay. It's more common to find no difference in something than it is to find a difference. That's something sure. That's yeah. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we think back to these other studies, these older studies, um, and that's one of the things, one of my pet peeves of research is someone sees a new study and they completely throw out, you know, 10, 15 years of research. Um, these are smart researchers. Everyone's, you know, every, the people in the, in the academic world are not idiots. They, they, they know what they're doing and they, and they're, and I, and I believe they're all trying to do the right thing and, and study things in an intelligent way. So, so anyway, so, um, there's a few issues that I have, um, and arguments I'm going to make against, like the findings in these in these two papers, and one is that the two papers are actually based off of the same um, data set. So right, it's it's and this is common in research. So they'll they'll do one experiment, and then they'll have kind of like two somewhat closely related um, outcomes. But they but to like I think to make it like make sense to people and not be overwhelming, they'll break that into two. Um, actual papers, even yeah. though it's just one group. So the two the two papers that were launched, both of them finding no difference, were the exact same 11 people doing the exact same research. Like, yeah, it's like the same study. Yeah, it's basically it's the same, the same study. study. Yeah, yes. But again, like when people are kind of making arguments to me that this doesn't work, like, look, there's two papers shown in 2023 that show it didn't work. I'm like, yeah, but that's that was one study, right? Um, that that showed that. So that's that's one thing. That's just kind of I think something that you know if you're not accustomed to reading research and looking at at the things like you could miss that 
and, and that could like kind of tip the scale one way or the other. So that's, 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 that's kind of really not a big deal. Um, well, and you know, that, you know, to that point with, um, as you explained some of the other things that you found, um, you had mentioned, you know, if you read the abstract of these articles, it may look like on the surface, like, oh, here, it's well thought out. You read the abstract. That's one of the biggest problems, I think, with just reading research in general is you've got to remember to anyone that's listened to this, not that we're trying to make you into an expert when it comes to, you know, analyzing research papers. However, it would be the same as if like you took some some sort of a book and you read the little thing on the back back of the cover and you decided that you knew exactly what happened in that book, like by just reading the abstract or the summary of the book, right? Um, when you're analyzing research, you can't just take the cliff notes because those cliff notes, th that abstract is written by the researchers to basically be like, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know if I want to use the word clickbait, but it's like you can craft the message to sound how you want it to sound without really getting to specifics of the true results of the study. So whenever I analyze research, I will glance at the abstract. Okay, that's fine. But if you really want to know and find out what happened in the study, if you're ever reading one, you need to go yes. to the sections that are called methods and you need to go to the sections that are called results so that you yes. can figure out exactly what was done, who were the participants in this study, and what were the true results. You don't want to read just the background, just the discussion, just the easy part to read where it's like yes. it's words like you need to read the scientific -y sections. Is that a word? Scientific. -y? Yes. Um, you need to read the sections where the science is, where the true results are, because that's where the findings are. And then the abstract is crafted by someone, you know, based on that. But you can kind of tailor that to sound how you want it to sound. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, and, and again, and that's kind of where I'm, you know, coming at with this uh, kind of research review is that, you know, I think the actual nuts and bolts here are super important. Um, and and I think the statement at the end of the abstract is a little broad and, and comes with a, needs a little bit more humility as all research should be kind of like issued with a lot of humility. Yeah, right? yeah. Because these, these uh, statements are almost always found not true five years later. Right? So things are yeah. always evolving. Um, so, you know, so the, so the, so the, so the two papers from one study, that's, you know, that's just something to keep in mind. And that happens all the time with research. So when you're counting up how many studies are pro and con, like sometimes it's multiple studies that are published from one, from one actual data set. Um, the main issues though here are that their methodology, um, didn't allow, I think enough volume to be compared to find a difference. And then that the application of the intervention being cooling actually wasn't on par with like what you would need to do to see a, to see a result. So let me talk about the volume first. Um, so like I said, polymer cooling is not going to make you stronger. It's not going to allow you to put more weight on the bench and all of a sudden bench more weight than you had the week before. It's going to allow you to do more sets at the hard training volume that you have programmed than if you did not do that. That's that's the case that Palmer Cooley makes. So it's mm -hmm. gonna be like, oh, I you know, I worked up to five sets of a three rep max, but you know what? Actually with Palmer Cooling, I think I can do a six or seventh set. Whereas when I don't cool, maybe I, I don't feel like I can do that. So right. that's the kind of volume that it's going to help you perform. Um, it is not a strength boost. Uh, it's going to make you stronger because you can do a few more reps or a couple more sets 
day in, day out. And at the end of a training period, you've accumulated more volume and that right. leads to performance breakthroughs. Okay. Yeah. So if we want to find if Palmer cooling is valuable for increased work volume, I need to set up an experiment that tests volume. So in this study, and I know they're just trying to like kind of compare it to a prior study, but in this study, they've got four sets of bench press done at 80%. And when you look at their volume chart, like the first set, the average number of reps in these 11 people is nine reps across the board. So, mm -hmm. and, and again, they, some of them started the thermo neutral, some of them started with 60 degrees, right? And then you see a very similar curve of um, uh, fatigue happen. So they, so they start at nine and by the end of the fourth set, they're all down around four reps, right? Mm -hmm. Had a change in volume of five reps across four sets. Now, with the N of 11, you only have 11 participants and you only have a change of five reps total. That's going to be hard to find a statistically significant difference. Yeah. And I would, and then we should even argue that more. That first set, there's no difference between because they don't start cooling until after the first set. So, really, we're looking at three sets. Yeah. That, that second set, they're all starting around seven reps and then they're all finishing around four reps, right? So they're, they're, they're trying to detect a volume difference when the potential change is only three reps. Yeah. Right. So from start to finish in any condition, there's only a three rep difference and you only have 11 people. It's going to be really hard to find a difference in training volume um, with that type of, with that type of small, um, fatigue curve for sure and you know <clears throat> and i don't know exactly what mm -hmm. sort of a number would be necessary in order to determine a statistical difference but it's it's quite possible depending on exactly how this was all set up that if one of the end these were all males you said yes yep. that if one of the guys that was doing one of the two palmer cooling 50 or 60 degrees it's quite possible that if they say you know benched five reps on the final set but the people that were not palmer cooling benched four it might be possible that that's still not big enough to call it a statistical significance so the research then would quote unquote conclude it doesn't cause an effect when like you're saying like the differences that were even possible to find are so small anyways um yeah. because that's not something where like even the most trained individual, you're not going to be able to bench that many repetitions at 80% of your max over a couple sets. You're you're going to fatigue and you know you're not you're not putting in a lot of volume, like you said. So I would, you know, so to approve that, you know, I would have said, like, well, let's let's not arbitrarily stop it off of that fourth set. What happens when we do, you know, 10 sets or you know, 11 sets, whatever? Like, you know, keep keep going, let that curve kind of like make some changes over time. Mm -hmm. um, and see if there is a difference. But again, I think starting from such a low number of nine and then, you know, stopping the experiment when they got to, th to three or four, it just didn't leave much room for a change to be found. Yeah. Um, again, they're comparing it to an older study that did a similar, that did find a change. Um, but again, you know, if we think about the reasoning behind Palmer cooling, it's for kind of high volume work. And this study did not i don't think give it a chance to show that it changes volume yeah uh, so, so i would have just said i would have recommended you know maybe starting with a lighter weight so that yep. the first set is around you know 20 20 reps now i've got like now i've got a lot of potential to show change and then i might say let's go seven eight nine ten sets and just see if we see some differences because they were yeah. looking at 
you know, they were looking at EMG. They were looking at, um, you know, they were looking at a lot of different things over those two stu- the two published studies that are really interesting. But I just think mm-hmm. they, you know, they might have they might have found some really cool stuff. They were like, to let these guys keep going. Yeah. Um, and try something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think, like you more said, more. you could you could redo this study. Like you said, you could redo this with a lighter weight, high, lower percentage of their their max, or just let them keep benching until they're unable to do more than one repetition and see how many sets it takes them to get to that. And maybe there's a difference then potentially, right? Hypothetically, maybe the group that's not using Palmer cooling fatigues out down to one single rep faster in fewer sets than the groups that are doing it. Um, because now we're starting to layer in a little bit more volume to the, to the system. If you go back to like what Dr you know, Keller or Heller, excuse me, um, originally discussed he was like, you know, the, the main change, like he was, you know, he, he found some like outstanding changes in like dips and he's like NFL players, like how much yeah. they could do. But the, the biggest difference was that like, they, they, they just kept going and doing more sets. It wasn't the, the big volume change from, from one situation to the other. It wasn't, it was like a ton more reps per set. It was that the, that the player just kept wanting to do more and more sets. So like they, they were getting that like negative feedback, that, that decrease in motivation. They're like, let's go, let's do it. I'm ready. I'm ready to go again. So yeah. I think again, just like keeping in mind, like we're trying to modify volume. Um, so we got to set up an experiment. The other big thing here that, that could have showed a difference was getting back to the intervention itself. So, and you mentioned this earlier, Andrew, that like you find more benefit in it when you have shorter rest breaks, when your heart rate's going to be relatively higher on that next set because you didn't take so much more time in between to rest. Yeah. And I think uh, you said they took several minutes in between. Yeah. On so it took study. three minutes. Yeah. It took three minutes, which is um, kind of on par with a lot of the research here. Okay. So there's a three minute rest break. And in, if you go back to the Quan study in 2010, during that three minutes, they actually rested with 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 cooling for 75% of that time. So there was like mm. 30 seconds on either side. In this study, they actually only deployed Palmer cooling for one of the three minutes. Mm. So you've got a really long rest period where, if, you know, if you do a set of nine bench presses and you sit there for three minutes, I guarantee you're going to feel pretty rested by the end of three minutes. Um but during that three minutes, you only palm cooled for one minute. So 33% of the available time of rest, you actually deployed the intervention. And then you're trying to state that that was going to have a big difference. Yeah. So, so again, we've got a situation where there's a lot of like natural recovery going on after three minutes of just sitting there and going to the next set, you're going to be feel pretty recovered. Okay. And that's okay. But if we were going to compare that to palm cooling, then we should try to palm cool as much of that three minutes as possible to see if there is, again, a difference between the two sets. If you're only deploying an intervention for 33% of the available time, like, I don't know, I just feel like that's not an honest assessment of trying to find a difference between the groups. You just yeah. kind of like, water, you're watering down the intervention with just just sitting there anyway. So mm-hmm. um, some of that had to do with like all the amount of um, objective data they're trying to collect with EMG. There's like, I think some complicated things going on that made it hard for the person to actually deploy palm cooling. Uh, but again, if we have a watered down intervention and we have a, a reps set and rep scheme, that's not congruent to like what we're trying to accomplish with palm cooling. Like I, I feel like the study was almost like set up in a way that was guaranteed not to show a difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think that's, you know, sort of just bringing up these points or bringing up these potential concerns with, hey, did we did we set the study up in, in a way that we even potentially could show a difference? 
it's just important that when you're evaluating research, when you're reading something, right, you need to read that with a grain of salt until you do the requisite analyzing of the deeper story behind the words, basically, of like figuring out like, okay, exactly what did they do? And another thing to point out is that this study was done with 11, I think you said collegiate age, male, uh, trained individuals. Yes. Um, and that's the only population that this can be extrapolated to, right? Yes. Like when we have a study, it can only be extrapolated to like the same type of person, right? And if that study was in fact done well, but like you couldn't then, somebody couldn't read this and then go take this and say, for anyone, palm yes. pulling doesn't work because, well, they didn't test everyone. They tested 11, well, yeah, 11, but it was broken up into three different categories, um, trained collegiate age guys. So like, that's a very small, small subset of the population, right? Yes. Yeah. And so like they're, you know, again, so again, like my argument is like not enough volume, not enough actual application of the intervention, but you know, their like kind of closing statement is like, therefore cooling cannot currently be recommended as an ergogenic strategy to enhance acute bench press or mitigate fatigue during high intensity resistance training. So they make a pretty big jump from like bench press to like any high intensity resistance training yeah. um, off of this one study. You know, again, and, and my big thing is like, hey, come always come at this with humility. Like, let people do like let people do the you know extrapolation for you. But like, but like speaking with what you're saying, like I would say like the application of palm cooling for a small percentage of the available rest time during four sets of bench press in highly trained um, or in well-trained college-age males did not seem to show a distant a difference mm -hmm. um, in bench press performance, right? Yeah, right. So like, you got to be specific. Hey, I'm only deploying the intervention for a very small portion of the time Yeah, that's available. I'm only doing four sets, right? And, and then we have this like specific population. And so like that's, that's what research should say. Um, and um, and then people keep like, okay, that's been studied. That chunk has been studied. Let me go look at some different parameters and see if there's a difference there. And I think For that sure. just helps people put together this larger picture of any intervention. Um, and that helps people like dial in, um, the research as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, we could debate this probably until, until the cows come home, wherever that right. saying came from, but, um, <sighs> high intensity could be interpreted many different ways, right? So like you said, if there if there's a claim out there that like this doesn't work for high intensity resistance training, well, only from a strength standpoint would I argue that four sets of bench press is high intensity with three minutes of rest in between. It's really not high intensity from a cardio respiratory standpoint. That's right. not something that if you're resting for three minutes, you're only moving two of your limbs during the exercise. Like that's not something that is going to drastically spike your heart rate or respiratory rate, thereby yeah. probably not something that's going to drastically increase your body temperature, right? Yeah. Compared yeah. to uh, another form of exercise where people are moving through a circuit, hammering yes. away on a bike or a rower, like they're doing things that are engaging many muscle groups throughout the body, many major joints, um, increasing their heart rate and respiratory rate. So yeah, yeah, to me, just kind of hearing this, like hearing the details of the study without trying to pick one side or the other, yeah, it yeah. sounds like it's, you know, it sounds like it's one of those scenarios where I wouldn't expect it to help in, at least yeah. in my, in my own experience, like using the the tool here in the gym. Um, like I said, when I feel 
the benefit the most is not in between my sets of squats or in between my sets of deadlifts or something, which is what we did today. Yep. But in between the sets of we're moving from one exercise to the next, to the next, to the next, maybe in an EMOM every minute on the minute style, or maybe in not typically in like, uh, I usually don't use this in like an AMRAP style type of workout because there's not really time to, yep. to rest while holding it. But what I will do is, you know, say uh, a colleague or a, a client and I, or gym friend and I were like doing intervals on the rower back and forth. Like today, for example, we finished a little circuit and then we did a partner finisher 1000 meter row where one of us, we could break that up however we want. My partner and I decided he was going to row 500 and I was going to row yeah. 500 and just transition one time. Well, we did just finish the circuit and then we pulled the rowers out. And we we're going to do this while he was rowing. I was holding on to the bar, right. Yeah. To rest during that, like, you know, minute and a half that he was rowing. Um, those are the scenarios when I try to, um, implement it and that yeah. I notice the change the most or, you know, whether that, yeah. um, I think there's a, to me, I feel like there's a, a mental, physical, emotional component to this, right? I'm, you know, there's a yes. physiological mental. Cause like I was telling someone, I'm like, to me, it doesn't matter. Like if something is placebo or if something is truly like physiologically taking, making a change, if you see a boost in performance, it really doesn't matter, right? If yeah. you perform better when you wear a red jersey, great. We're, then have your team wear red jerseys. Like if that's your favorite color and you, you know, there's a lot to this, like look good, feel good, play good. Well, yeah. if this helps someone like mentally feel like they're becoming more recovered or truly physiologically, we're seeing data that supports like, you know, your body yes. should be feeling more recovered. Either one of those to me is a great reason to use it. Yeah. And there's a whole textbook called Thermoregulation and Human Performance yeah. from 2008. So it's pre-palm cooling. The whole gist of the textbook is that like we are at the, at the brain level, we are sensing temperature changes and making um, motivational changes to self-preserve. So yeah. I even think the whole placebo thing is hard to um, study in this when we're dealing with temperature because it actually is making like mental change. changes, yeah. preventing mental like fatigue, mm -hmm. right? And so um, there's something that, so yeah, you feel good, but that might be actually be one of the mechanisms. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. And then even going back to like when I first, before I even had a company, I was just trying to try this out after I heard that podcast, you know, like I did a, they were talking about doing like a, you know, go do something to failure, do seven reps, take three minutes in between. You know, what I was doing, I did like a seated um, shoulder uh, press, shoulder press, mm -hmm. right? After three minutes, I felt pretty dang rested. You know, um, I had a fatigue curve for sure, but I felt pretty dang rested. And I had a 15% bump from one day to the next. When I palm cooled the next day, I had a 15% bump, which is okay. Uh, that's actually great if you think of anything from a from a performance standpoint. But compared mm -hmm. to like what Dr. Heller had been talking about, it wasn't 60 to 150%. Like uh, it was a more it was a more realistic type improvement. But then when I switched over and be like and, and did some self-testing at like one minute intervals, then I saw like a 28% improvement. Mm -hmm. Right. And that goes back to what you're saying. Like I just had less natural recovery happening. So I think the performance, the ergogenic aid actually had a a yep. bigger you know, change to like my performance. Sure. Um, and I think that's where some more research needs to be done, looking at shorter rest intervals, and then also looking at ways to study this where there's no cap, there's no end cap. Like maybe you have to hit a certain level of performance and you get another round. You hit another certain level of performance, you get another round. Yeah. And see like how many more rounds 
this allows you to do, which would actually be more training volume uh, versus having a cap on the rounds and trying to compare reps. I think like, like getting back to like, okay, like this is going to allow you to like keep going to sustain. Um, let's, let's set up an experiment that's going to allow for sustained efforts where you have to meet a certain level of performance. And, and I'm excited because like I, there's a university that reached out to me and they were, they were saying, Hey, like we've got this, these, I mean, this, this professor was like, I got these, this group of students who really want to research this. And they kind of had a similar, like, you know, arbitrary cap on the number of um, rounds that the person was going to do. And, and I kind of talked to them about what I'm talking to you about today. And so we've got an actual like um, IRB approved study that's going to be conducted this, this, this spring, that's going to allow for um, people to keep going if they keep meeting this performance standard. Let's compare those two situations, mm -hmm. short periods where the intervention is actually being deployed for the whole rest period compared to not. Um, so I think there's, you know, again, a study, uh, you know, I don't want to like bang on these studies because the study, like, again, it tells us some important information, like, Hey, if you're doing four sets, right. And there's not a lot of volume being done and you have a lot of rest period, it's not a time to use Palmer cooling. It's not going to help you that much. That's cool. That's great. That's great information. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's look at the tool. Um, let's keep chipping away and find those best ways to apply it. Um, because I think, again, going back to the little kids that just pick it up or when I hand it to a client, they just feel so relieved or, you know, you feel just like, Hey, there's some benefit here. There is some, there's some validity here. Um, because we, we struggle with heat and finding ways to mitigate that, um, is helpful. And I think, I think they're, we're going to keep, chipping away, but we're going to find the, the really specific situations when this tool is most applicable and when it's not. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to hear what, what comes of those studies, uh, in a few months. Um, and honestly, I think anyone listening to this, uh, to this episode would, would probably agree with what I'm about to say. I forget exactly how long it's been not quite a year that I've had this palm cooling bar. Cause I think that last episode we did came out in April of, uh, 2023. So yeah. let's call it, you know, let's call it nine months or something or somewhere in that neighborhood. I don't think if, and this is just anecdotal evidence, this is just one individual, right? I don't think if I interpreted or perceived that this was not helping me one bit, that I would continue to use it, that I would continue to have it here in the gym where I do 90% of my training is in this facility. That's why I keep it here rather than like carrying it around. So I don't forget it back at home. I keep it here because this is where I'm doing my training. And if you ask any of the coaches and trainers and people that I work out with here in the gym, they would tell you that, yeah, Andrew brings this out on most training days. Um, so I don't think I would do that if I didn't think it was helping me. So because I'm not going to use something or, or um, what's the word, back or support something that I don't actually believe yeah. in, believe is helpful. So like, you know, I was telling a joking with somebody yesterday, I was like, well, that's why we don't have like a major uh, fast food or soda company advertisement on this podcast, right? Because why would I support something that I know is really not beneficial for us? Even if there's money there, that's just not where the, you know, that's not where we're going to go. So I think, uh, I think that's exciting that you have that study yeah. IRB approval coming up and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what, it, what comes of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd say like, I see that around the gym too. Like there's, there's people who have bought my device in our health club that don't know that I actually that I own the company or that I had anything to do with creating it. That's cool. Um, and, and these are like early adopters who bought it back in 2021. And, you know, they're at the gym yesterday holding on to it. Um, and so I, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of things that I've bought before because I was excited about like the potential and then like, it just kind of falls off. 
you know, three or four workouts in, I'm like, ah, just like not feeling it. But like, you know, I use it. These other people use it. You use it. I hear it from a lot of people. You know, we got guys like at the highest level of sports um, who like swear by it. And, and again, you know, the research is going to, there's going to be some that show a benefit, some that don't, but there's, there is some like validity here. I think just from like hearing testimony like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to just like, you know, discuss these results and, you know, you know, tell you why I think, you know, it's there, it's a legit study, but there's some issues with making broad statements um, that it just doesn't work because again, it just didn't work in one situation, but there's other situations where this research has shown it worked. Yeah. Now, I think that's just a good reminder for all of us, whether we're talking about palm cooling studies or we're talking about anything like let's uh, probably not make broad generalizing statements based off of small pieces of information, because uh, yes. you could sometimes get yourself in trouble by doing that. Yes. Um, so so, Kyle, what about this? What about um, anyone who's listening to this episode who they're hearing this? They're they're wondering, like they see the picture behind you. They see me holding yeah. this, holding this tool. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's about. How many inches long is it? It's longer than a it's foot, a foot, but it's, it's, a foot long. it's a foot long. Okay. So foot long, you know, it's like just big enough. I'm, I'm five foot nine. It's just big enough that I can't quite fully reach my fingers around it. So what if somebody wants to try this for themselves? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you guys, find, uh, find one of these that they can purchase and try out for themselves or their team. If it's a coach or someone looking to, to try this with their youth team, like you mentioned, uh, where can people find you guys? Yeah. So just go to, um, you know, avacooling.com. So avacooling.com. You know, we got like research uh, linked up there. We get to, we talk about all the science, but that's where you can buy it. We also sell on Amazon. So if you search for um, Palmer cooling or Ava cooling technology on um, Amazon, you can find it there as well. Uh, and yeah, we, we do most of our sales just through our website um, um, or just feel free to like, you know, um, reach out to me at the, at the email listed below on your um description of the episode yeah um but uh but yeah i'd love to you know chat with you if you're if you're still kind of like not sure how to implement it in your into your program or with your team or with your clients or patients or whatever um i've got some good um you know papers that i've written on like how to actually implement it into a team setting um and so i can send you links to that as well or i'd just love to have a conversation with you so just yeah the website is kind of like a way to get hold of me or, you know, just make a simple purchase. They're not real expensive. So, um, yeah, I appreciate your support. We, we make, you know, I'm a, I'm a veteran, uh, we're a veteran owned company, hundred percent. Uh, and really important to me is that we like source and manufacture this all in the U S so yeah. everything, everything except a thermometer. And if someone makes a thermometer in the U S that I can use, I will buy it from you and use it in ours, but everything is made in the U S. Um, and, uh, that's super important to me. So, um, you're supporting, you know, the people who like make the sell the metal, who like, you know, do do everything from the caps to the, the bar to everything. Um, you're supporting the uh, U.S. made product. So, yeah, I love that. And of course, who knows, there could be people not in the U.S. listening to this. But someone told me yesterday, in fact, um, that at least in this country, we all bleed red, white and blue. So um, I'm right there with you. I think that's awesome. And I appreciate you trying to have that be like, you know, a almost 100% US made uh, made piece of equipment. And and like you said, it's not like the most expensive thing in the world. We all have many more expensive things in our pockets yeah. everything, every single day. So that um, was just showing you my cell phone there. But um, I would recommend if, um, if you're someone who likes to train, if you're someone who's trying to get yourself back in shape, um, I think this is a really cool tool to add to your arsenal. Um, I think there's, you know, there's so many things that we we purchase or we talk about that can like help make make things easier for us or like we you know we buy 
I'm just thinking of exercise. Like we buy massage guns and we buy fancy shoes and we buy fancy wrist wraps and knee wraps and like all these things, right? We buy fancy clothing um, that none of that stuff really makes a difference from a performance standpoint. Um, it looks cool. But um, but if you have something that can actually help, you know, make that training, whatever intensity it is, a little bit uh, more accessible and easier for you to put the work in that you're trying to do, uh, I'm all for it. So I implore you nice. to go check out that website. And then I like the um, the part that you mentioned, like, please reach out to Kyle, use the information in the show notes. If you do have questions about the actual application of this, because, you know, knowledge is one thing and like having, having a tool is one thing, but if it just sits in your gym bag or sits in your closet and doesn't actually get used because you don't know how to use it, um, that's not the point of having it. So if you do have questions, please use that information so that we can uh, help steer you in the right direction. And, um, if this episode caused some more questions to come up in your mind, man, do you just let us know you write some comments, leave some reviews on the podcast, shoot me an email and, um, and we'll, do another episode and we'll get those questions answered for you guys. And, um, or I'll pass those on to Kyle if, uh, if you do send them my way. So that sound good to you. That sounds awesome, man. Yeah. I love the nerd out on this stuff. So cool. All right, guys. Well, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up and I appreciate you tuning in to this episode of the code. Um, hopefully it's, it's not your last one. If it was your first one and we catch you back here on another episode. And, um, I know you heard me mention, you know, go leave some questions or leave a review. But if you've not done that already, man, a review on this podcast would go a really long way. Um, you know, we're just a small little operation. We have a goal of trying to get up to 200 five-star reviews on this podcast. We're like 30 or something right now. So we've got some ways to go. So every little bit helps. I really appreciate your, your time going to do that. And uh, we'll catch you guys on another episode of The Code. Thanks so much.